Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello. Here we are again. Indeed. Do you know what I realized? Tell me. Last time we spoke, we were really nervous about the election. Oh, boy. We were. Oh, yeah. I feel better. I'll say it. I do, too. I will happily say it. I feel, in fact, enthused because... Good word. We got a lady coming to the White House in a capacity that's never happened before. You know, all cards on the table. I actually cried watching her speak. I wept like a small child as well. I didn't realize that it mattered so much to me, but then Mm. I realized that we do this podcast. Mm -hmm. I get it. I guess I care. Yeah, I guess I I also went to a women's college. I guess I care. You did. I was going to say, I'm like, you you are well primed to care a lot about this I'm wearing a Barnard sweatshirt (laughs) right now. (laughs) Oh, I love that for you. I'm wearing my Hopkins sweatshirt right now. Look at us. Look at us go wrapping the schools. I want to know who this week's lady is. Okay. This week's lady mm-hmm. is actually someone that I formed a deep affection for at school, at college. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to do a quick shout out to one of my favorite professors of all time. Um, she actually wasn't quite a professor. She was a grad student, but my school had a really cool program wherein grad students could get a fellowship to teach undergraduates. Huh. Her name's Jessica Walker, and she is a brilliant historian and a wonderful person. And we just became very close over uh, my like second semester of freshman year. I took this amazing class. It was a fellowship, one of her fellowship classes that she taught. It was about the tutors and Mm -hmm. her abiding love in this life was for a Mary tutor. And that's who we're going to talk about today. The Tudors. We're going into the Tudors. We talked about... Exciting. Yeah. We talked about the Wars of the Roses and the women who led us to this point. And, and now we're entering... We're in the 16th century. You know what I'm saying? We're here. Wowza. We're present. Yeah. Wowza. This is for Jessica. Um, this is Hi, Mary's... Jessica. Yeah. Oh, I love... I would love to talk to her again. Um I never really cared that much about Mary. I won't lie to you guys. Never cared that much. I never thought about her that much. I never really cared that much about... We appreciate the... Thank you. I never really cared that much about Elizabeth either because everyone cared about her. And I was like, well, I like more obscure queens. Um, Not that the ones I love are that obscure. They are to Americans. But, um, But then I learned more about Mary and tried to understand her person and I found her deeply sympathetic and entirely brave and it was exciting to learn more about her and I hope it's the same I hope so too yeah. <laughs> we're put yourself it's February of 1516 I'm wearing a little puffer jacket yeah you got a puffer jacket because you're you're in you're in Greenwich you're in London it's cold a little chilly and it's it's the 18th of February and Queen Catherine of Aragon has had 
quite a few miscarriages and stillborn mm. births, at least seven that we know of. Oh, yikes. Um, including one son who lived for, I think, a couple of months mm. and then died. And her father is Henry VIII. At this point, a beloved prince of, of Europe, a defender, a staunch defender of the faith, meaning Catholicism, Beloved by Europe and the and the Pope. He was strong. He was virile. He was ginger. Uh, and he and his wife loved each other very much, actually. And they had been married for a very long time at this point. Um, I think almost 20 years. They they will have been married for 24 years, foreshadowing. So Catherine gives birth to a living child, which is the great joy of both of her parents' lives, lives. And the only damper on the whole mood is that she happens to be a girl, but she's christened Mary after Henry's favorite sister. Right. And everyone's so Catholic. Like, I'm just going to keep emphasizing that for a while. Everyone's Catholic. Deeply so. She has, you know, she is kind of espoused as like one of the greatest Catholic births. I mean, everything about her is she is an heir to the great line of Spanish rulers, um, thanks to her mother, who is the daughter of Isabel and Ferdinand of Spain. Mm. Proud, proud daughter who was raised by a deeply powerful mother. Um, And Catherine intended to do the same with her own children. Of course, she only had the chance to do so with Mary. It's a very, I mean, deeply tragic life. Um, and so when Mary is raised, she's raised as a prince would be raised. She's raised, she has a great humanist education. She can read and write Latin, French, Spanish, Greek, and she has conversational Italian and a few other languages from my understanding. She, cool. yeah, she's incredible. Um, and when she was like four, there's the story of her um, entertaining like a French delegation with um, the virginals, which is a kind of like harpsichord. Um, so she's just this witty, brilliant, and very intelligent, um, child. And she looks a lot like her parents. So, um, both of her parents had red hair. Everyone always depicts Catherine of Aragon as this like dark skinned, brown haired Spanish woman. She wasn't, she was like super pale and ginger as well. Um, <laughs> love that for her. I do too. I do too. Actually, she's very beautiful. Um, and Mary looks just like both of them. So blue eyes, red hair, very pale. Um, Cute. yeah. So like almost from the time she's born, they're like, you know what we got to do? We got to marry this girl off because she's important, but she's a girl. So she can leave the country. Cause I'm, you know, I bet my wife's going to have more kids. This is Henry speaking, of course. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> sure, well, sure. Also, that's 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 her worth, you know. It is, but her worth is is. Here's the thing: like we have a 21st century mentality about these kinds of things, and I understand that. But for the time being, I think, and this was a great lesson that I always felt Jessica actually taught me was just give yourself the peace of mind to try and sympathize with people whose values don't match your own, and. You know, I'm, I'm not deeply religious. I'm not any of that. But if I can put myself in the shoes of someone who's raised 
in that way, I can understand their mentality a lot better. And and Mary, of course, was raised in that way. And one of the ways that she was raised is to believe in the natural order of the universe as subscribed and given to everyone by the Catholic Church, meaning women are obedient and meant to be chaste and good and gentle. And men are strong and meant to be the um, superior force. And that this wasn't like up for negotiation. This was the natural order of the universe. So however much it pains me to say those words now, if I can think about what it would have been like to have been raised in that way, we really do understand Mary a lot better. And a lot and women of pretty much any pre-modern time better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we think about the way that she would have been raised. You know, we can understand at the time, if she's being courted by literally like every prince of Europe, this is right. This is to credit her birth and her rank and her importance. Because we like to say, oh, it's just a dynastic marriage, but we don't understand the the political vitality of dynastic marriages. They were the bread and butter of politics you know, mm-hmm. in a time of monarchy. How did you get alliances? You married your daughter off to the prince of, you know, who was trying to invade your kingdom. And he right. couldn't invade you then because he was married to your daughter. Like, it, you know, we think about this and we almost discount them now. Not that, not that, I'm nice, not that I'm saying you do or anyone else does, but I've, I've noticed this as a trend of like, oh, she was just a dynastic marriage. But we forget how important that was. And, and the influence that that person could bring to a different culture. When Catherine came over from Spain, she was engaged to be married, and this will be important, to Henry's older brother, Arthur, and indeed married him. And the importance of that marriage was such that they knew that peace with Spain was secured during her lifetime and the lifetime of any of their children. That Mm -hmm. is so vital because Spain constantly wants to invade England. I mean, it is incessant. And England's always like this little upstart who's like, you want to, you want to go? We'll go, you know, but if they're married to each other, they got to be kind and they have, they have to be a little more gentle with each other. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. the marriage of her parents is really important of Mary's parents is important. And what Catherine brings is this, I mean, unequivocal Spanishness and it becomes something that's used against her actually. But Mary is very proud of her heritage, genuinely, and is very proud to come from two great lines of kings, which she does. But there are, you know, from our exploration of the women of the Wars of the Roses, we know Mary comes directly from, you know, Elizabeth of York and Elizabeth Woodville and how many other incredible women. She comes through the line of these women. She is a direct, somewhat direct, as we found out, descendant. Mm-hmm. But through Spain, her mo- her grandmother is this deeply important woman whose marriage to Ferdinand completely ensured peace in Spain. I mean, it's, it's, you know, these are the, the most powerful political players of the 16th and even late 15th centuries came together and created Mary. And she knew that, mm-hmm. you know, she was raised understanding her own importance in the world. And that's not to say she was arrogant. That's to say she she understood her place in it. I wonder what it's like as a human being 
to know the political significance of either your union to someone else or mm. your parents' union, but to still be a human being mm. and have thoughts and feelings. And I mean, you know, there's there's a world in which it's exciting and attractive to be with the enemy, but I can imagine there's also a world in which maybe you feel that way towards your new spouse, you know, your your spouse might represent a nation that your country has been fighting against. And it mm. must be weird to suddenly be living with that person. Absolutely. That's such a great point. Um, I mean, that is, you've, you've kind of cracked it. That's the essence of what <laughs> marriage and family dynamic dynamics were for royalty. Right. I mean, that's exactly yeah. right. It's so weird. So when, when Catherine of Aragon's in favor, she's this great, you know, kind of lovely, exotic, exotic, um, beautiful and semi-docile for the time mm -hmm. queen and beloved wife and friend and mother. And we'll see quickly that as she falls from favor, those same things that were given to her as a credit are instead evidence of her allegiance to a foreign power. Right. For, and Mary's actually, when she's fallen from grace a little bit, you know, she, it's, it's the same thing. She is so proud of being Spanish, half Spanish and half English. Um, mm -hmm. But the bit of her that's Spanish is also the bit of her that's Catholic and her allegiance to them. She's seen as this kind of semi-foreign entity when she's never once seen Spain or left England. So it, it, it's a very good observation because that's, that's it. That's the crux of all of the weird family dynamics. You know, you do marry someone who doesn't speak your language mm -hmm. naturally, maybe right. was, you know, knew that they were going to marry you from the time they were born. So they were raised to speak it, but, but the, right, you know, right. which is what happened. And Catherine spoke wonderful. Catherine of Aragon, excuse me, spoke perfect English, but she did have an accent and people used to, you know, when it was, when she was in favor, it was endearing. And when she was out of favor, it was a threat. Right. Foreign becomes other. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but what's interesting is because Mary is so important, she's never once, it's never thought for her at the time she is princess to be married to an Englishman because they are not at her level. There is one princess. There are no other princes in the realm. So she has to look abroad. Has to in order to befit her station as God intends. I mean, this is, that's how vital it was. Mm -hmm. So she's two years old. She's going to marry the son of Francis of France. But after three years, they're like, nah, it's good. When she's six, she's going to marry her 22-year-old first cousin, who is Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor. Um, yeah, yeah that, that doesn't happen. And then instead of marrying... You know, she was originally going to marry the infant son of Francis I of France. But then a few years later, they're like, why don't you just marry the dad? So she's either going to marry him or his second son. And then they're like, now nah, we already have peace with France. I guess we're good. We don't need that. And then maybe she was going to marry James V of Scotland. And then no. And then by this time, unfortunately, Catherine's not, Catherine of Aragon has not become pregnant again. I don't, I think she may have become pregnant once more after Mary, but it was a, another miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And Henry was like, I need a son because I have an oral fixation. I don't know. Um, and right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I need a son. So Anne Boleyn 
is a favorite of mine as well, which is so anathema to Mary being my other favorite, which I think is hysterical. So Anne Boleyn is, it's like 1526 and she's gorgeous and alluring. And she's just been raised in France for a long time. And then she comes back to England and she's like, Hey, I'm awesome. Um, I know you were sleeping with my sister, but like, we should, we should chat. And then they start meeting and getting to know each other. And she's like, you know what you need to do? Like your wife, like she was great and all, but look, God doesn't love your marriage because you never had a son. And Henry's like, you're right. And she's like, I know, but you know, it's a good argument. Well, yeah, that was the argument of the time. Yeah. His marriage to Catherine was not valid. And it was in fact an affront to God because she was the widow of his brother. Mm -hmm. And That's in the Bible. It's in like Leviticus or something. So if they had had a son, this would have been fine. No, nothing would have mattered. But the fact that they didn't have a son signaled God's displeasure with their union, even though, of course, they received papal dispensation from it, meaning God apparently approved of it. And also, Catherine always insisted that her marriage with Arthur was never consummated. It means it was open to be annulled. And so not divorced, annulled. That was effectively divorce. Right. Because it was if if it was based on the because grounds, it wasn't of something, consummated. Yeah, exactly. So if it was like we found fa- we found out with Eleanor of Aquitaine, she received her annulment based on the grounds of consanguinity, meaning they're too closely related. This was on the grounds that she was already married to his brother, and you cannot carnally know one's brother, <laughs> um, right? But she's like, it was never consummated, and so that marriage in and of itself was never valid, and so my marriage this is Catherine, my marriage to Henry is in fact more valid because not only that, I've given him a child, I've given him an heir and Mary was designated the heir. Um, but because of this and the Pope was like, I don't want to give you an annulment. This is, you know, Anne Boleyn is asking for an annulment. She won't sleep with Henry until then. Um, And Henry's desperate to have a son. And if we think about what happened, right, we talked about the Wars of the Roses. We understand that this isn't that far off. We're one generation removed. People are alive at this point who saw the political upheaval that was the Wars of the Roses and Mm. the importance. And I, I can't really stress it enough, the absolute importance of an heir and a legitimate succession. I, yeah, it's the most important thing in the world. And we see that with Mary too. We see that with all of the kids in order for England to not fall once more into civil war. It was the most important thing in the world that they have a valid and legitimate line of succession. And that includes men. If she's being raised to be the heir and Mm -hmm. she's being raised like a prince you said what is the line between that and actually needing a son if there's a world in which she can be raised to be an heir at what point is she not good enough to be the heir Mm -hmm. well that's a it's a good point and i it it brings me actually to something i wanted to discuss that i I hope might help with that it's Mm -hmm. primogeniture right That's the method through which things were inherited. And that means the eldest son inherits 
everything. Right. That is that is how England is ruled. And that's how most countries, uh, Western countries, are ruled at this time. In a place called France, that you love so much. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I have, no, I have heard of it. Yeah, it's a good, it's a it's a pretty cool country. In France, they are governed by something additionally called salient theory or Salic law, and what that entails is that in order to become a king, you must be anointed like a priest, and women cannot be anointed like a priest because women cannot be priests, so women right. cannot be kings. That does not happen in England. There is right. no salient theory and governance in England. So it means that there's a lot of a lot of cognitive dissonance happening because technically speaking, Matilda, the daughter of Henry the First, mm-hmm. could have been queen. And we saw, if not for her disgusting and horrible cousin Stephen of Blois, she would have become the very first queen regnant of England in like ten eighty nine or something. But that that didn't happen. And it wasn't necessarily because she was a woman. That was the reason Stephen gave. It was because he was a power-hungry little bitch. But, you know. Right, 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 right. Of course. Yeah. So Mary is in a similar, not not actually similar position. She's, Matilda wasn't raised to believe that she was going to be queen. But when that opportunity was striking, she had been raised with enough importance and understanding of her own position to understand the vitality of her ascension as queen. Mm -hmm. Mary is raised from the get-go to be married to a king, but she's also, again, and this is where it becomes very interesting for her, she's raised by her father to be a proud princess of England and is deeply proud to be Henry VIII's daughter. Deeply proud. I mean, her blind love for her father considering everything he does to her that we're going to touch on is admirable, if not slightly mm-hmm. foolish. So it's a tricky one because you're right. Okay. So what happens? She's raised to be Prince. She's raised to be, you know, and why is he searching so badly? Because it's not, because it is still not the natural order of the universe for women to be in positions of power. Right. So yeah, she's a good fallback. Right, right, right. But it's not what they want. She was like raised as an option, but not a preference. Not necessarily. She was raised as her position was the option. It's not as though they raised her to be the option. I guess that's the important distinction. She was raised with the education befitting a prince of England, but more to serve her future husband who wouldn't want to marry a boar. Of course. So, and that was literally like the theory behind educating women was like, well, her husband's going to want to talk to her occasionally. Um, Literally, I I just, I read a quote like that and it cracked me up. I was like, oh, good. That's the way. That's why we should educate women. Still true. Still true. Still true. Um, Still true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah. So this is, this is a time, Mary's personal identity gets thrown around so much. Her father is constantly negotiating these marriages, constantly breaks them. I mean, it is to the point where she's she should have been engaged and married by the time she was nine. I mean, she's so important in that capacity, and that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So where is she left? She's left to be a little queen. She's given this beautiful household to run, and she effectively rules it as a queen. At nine? Oh, I, like, no, you're given your own household when you're a baby. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. So she's raised to be all these things. She's raised to have an advantageous marriage, if only to serve the, the political interests of her own kingdom. And none of those things are happening. But what does happen is her father's in love with this younger woman and your mom is thrown and cast aside and you can never see her again. She's not allowed to see her mom anymore? They are separated and unfortunately never see each other again. What is the purpose of that? Because they're bad influences on each other. Because they believe in each other? Yes. And love each other and support each other. (sighs) Okay. And Catherine is always writing to Mary um, to ensure that she understands her position and her pride as a princess of England, as the granddaughter of Isabella right. of, of Spain, mm-hmm. as the daughter and granddaughter of two great kings of England, and that her Catholic faith is the most important thing in the world to her, and that if they do not find justice in this life, they will certainly in the next. Mm. So, of course, that's dangerous rhetoric for someone who's trying to tell you that you are illegitimate. His mother, his marriage to your mother was never legitimate. She should be cast right. aside as the Dowager Princess of Wales, which is what she would have been called if she had just remained Arthur's widow. And you are just the Lady Mary, an illegitimate child of a marriage that should never have happened. Mm. And that's exactly what happens in 1533. Anne Boleyn had finally succumbed to Henry's advances and she's heavily pregnant and Henry has cast aside the Catholic Church and through the act of supremacy declared himself the head of the new, newly formed and basic facsimile of the Catholic Church, the Church of England. The, pretty mm-hmm. much the only difference is that the liturgy is held in English and that um, he is the head, not the Pope. Mm-hmm. So Mary's now the Lady Mary although she continues to refer to herself as a princess in letters to her father, which could not have angered him more. <laughs> and after her half-born, half-sister born, half is born, Elizabeth, Anne's daughter, her own household is dissolved and she is placed in the line of succession completely beyond Elizabeth, like neck, like behind. Mm-hmm. All of her servants were dismissed. And in December of 1533, she is sent to join the household of the new baby as a servant. So the person who's just usurped your role and holds your previous title, the one you still claim for yourself is now someone you are supposed to serve. That's wild. I, and, and you are like 19 or 20. Right. This is probably the point at which she would have been married to a King. She should have been married to a King like 10 years before. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But when but when you're married to a king at that age, you you don't actually go live with them at nine, do you? Or yeah, sometimes you do. You're like promise. No, you you'd be sent to go occasionally. So it depends. Either either it was a promise, and you'd be sent when you were twelve, which is thanks Catholic Church, the age of consent. Right. Right. Okay. So not nineteen. That was a very modern. Yes. 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 Come on, they're they're so old by that point. Um, Sorry, I was thinking eighteen, but that was foolish of me. Yeah, how dare you? Um, <laughs> or you would be sent as a small child to be raised in the court, so that you'd have a better understanding of the court. You, but you, right. your marriage wouldn't be like consummated until you were at least twelve, if not older. They often waited until they were older. Often. All right. Well, that checks out. Yeah. 
So the new Lady Mary, who continues to refer to herself as the princess and her mother as the queen, mm-hmm. um, is consistently stripped of her rights. She is under pain of almost torture, um, being denied friendship and companionship and any relationship with her mother. Her father didn't speak to her for three years. Her mother was ill and Mary herself was often very ill. At this point, um, she she had some menstrual disorders. We're not quite sure what they were, but it sounds like it could have been endometriosis or PCOS. No one's ever diagnosed mm-hmm. it, but it sounds horribly painful and mm-hmm. uh, couldn't sympathize more. So she's completely separated from her mother, from all sympathy. All of her maids are interrogated and made sure that they are not, you know, sympathetic, sympathetic to her. Um, Anne is insistent that Mary submit to the new rule. And Mary calls Anne like the Jezebel and, you know, hates her, which is fair. By this point, it's three years later, it's 1536. Anne has given birth to a stillborn son. And I believe has also suffered a couple of other miscarriages. She's fallen from favor. They decide on these trumped up charges that she slept with her brother and like 12 other people and she's beheaded. I remember that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, um, on the same day she's beheaded, uh, Henry gets engaged to Jane Seymour, who I believe used to be one of Mary's lady in waitings. Ladies in waiting. Yeah. That's the plural. (laughs) Ladies in waiting. There you go. And Jane, two weeks after Anne's executed, they get married. And Jane fervently hopes for Mary to become reconciled with her father. At this point, unfortunately, in the same year earlier in 1536, Catherine of Aragon passed away, most likely from cancer. Although Mm -hmm. everyone swore that Anne poisoned her. Probably not true. We love a good rumor, though. I it, this rain is fraught with rumors. <laughs> That's what makes it so fun and spicy. Is it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Mary's been through this like literal trials and tribulations. Her ladies have been tortured. I mean, and now all of a sudden her new stepmommy's like, but like talk to your kid again. And what's what's her motivation for that? Do we know? To reconcile them? She was very fond of Mary, Jane, Seymour. That's it? Personally fond of Mary, yeah. I feel like I would be worried that I would upset my new and very prone-to-murder husband. Well, he's not prone to murder at this point. Yeah, okay. He executed Anne because she um, committed an act of treason. Yeah, but something about getting engaged on the same day. Is... Oh, I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying he wasn't a sociopath. I've never right, once right, said right, that. Right. But from I think Jane's I, I think perspective. I personally <laughs> would be a little worried about upsetting him. And I, I understand that. Um, but again, but you're right. It's probably coming from a modern perspective. It's not. But we have to remember the one thing that was keeping Mary kind of out of the line of favor is dead, her mother. Okay. Yeah, sure. And Mary was on the pain of death, forced to sign something that recognized her father as the head of the Church of England. Mm-hmm. So they've been reconciled. She's she's brought back into court. Um, yeah, so she, this is really funny, though. Um, when she signed all of the documents that, like, recognized him as the head of the Church of England, her parents' marriage was was invalid. She's She's illegitimate. Papal authority is not good. 
all that happens. She reconciles with him. And this is a quote by submitting to his authority as far as God and my conscience permitted. She's like, yeah, 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 I'll do it. But God knows. Um, she's brought back into favor. She's got this amazing household. Her her favorite maid, man, uh, maid servant, lady, mm-hmm. woman, is brought back. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets more money again. And she lives at Hatfield House, um, Palace at Richmond, Palaces at Greenwich, at Westminster, Hampton Court, Palace of Balio. Um, these are all, you know, royal palaces. She gets, she loves to gamble. She loves cards and she loves beautiful clothes and jewels because she's very Catholic and that's part of Catholicism. And that was one of the main grievances held against the Catholic Church when they started becoming more Protestant in England. There was a rebellion. Um, so she, yeah, she's back completely in favor and in fact um, isn't entirely unaffectionate toward her half-sister Elizabeth, which considering that she is the literal physical embodiment of her own family, her own mother and her own downfall and the replacement of her affections by her father mm-hmm. is incredible. And Elizabeth is only four. So like three or four uh, when her mother's executed. So she's a little baby, little baby. It's it's hard to hate a baby. Mm, okay. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> I agree. I actually really like, I don't, it's not a secret. I don't love children, but I really love babies. Um, sure. Because they're cute. And I know exactly what they want. That's true. And then the moment That's they true. talk to me, they talk back to me. And I'm like, oh, this is no longer fun. Yeah, yeah. The t- the, the sassy mm. age is the cutoff for you. I get that. Yeah. The moment they can speak, I'm like, ah. Right, 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 right. The cuteness is gone. They must be at least my contemporary in age or older. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, we're cool again. There's like a 20-year gap for me. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Work. Yeah, that works out. Cool. Awesome. Um, but this this means that baby Elizabeth is illegitimate. So now they're both illegitimate. Yeah, everyone's illegitimate. So there are no heirs at the moment. Well, hold up. So Queen Anne's like, I'm beheaded. My daughter's illegitimate. That's what happened. She said that. No. After after she was beheaded. Her head said that, yeah. Got it. Got it. Visually, that makes a lot of sense to me. Heads can speak after they've been cut off of someone's head. Yeah, I sadly did know that. <laughs> yeah, it's just like neurons firing. The mouths are moving. Ugh, awful. Moving on. <laughs> okay, so currently no legitimate heir. Yeah. He has an illegitimate son. From when? Uh, during his marriage to Catherine. His name's also Henry. Got it. He's really beloved. He was raised um, to the peerage. He was like a double duke, which is the first time since like the 12th century. No, 13th century that anyone had done that. So why is why is he illegitimate again? He was married to Catherine and he had an affair with Mary Blount. Sure. And she had a son. She's not important enough to have been like, oh, I'll marry her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is before Anne Boleyn. This is older. I never mentioned it. I should have. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. The, Elizabeth and Mary are both illegitimate. There is no heir. And that's why he married Jane Seymour. And she becomes pregnant fairly quickly after their marriage and gives birth to the long-awaited prince, Prince Edward. And Mary's godmother to him, their relationship, Jane, uh, not Jane, excuse me, uh, Mary and Edwards is very close. She's she's godmother to a si- to a half sibling. Correct. Okay. This is weird back then. All right. Yeah. Mary was made godmother to one of her best friends, who's only like two months younger than her. Mm-hmm. 
So that's also a thing. Sure. Yeah. At this time, she's she's in favor again. Her younger sibling, Elizabeth, is out of favor, but her brother is. And then, unfortunately, two weeks after she gives birth, Jane dies. And Mary's chief mourner at the Queen's funeral, which is a mm-hmm. sign of how um, important she was at court again. Mm-hmm. The Duke of Bavaria wants to marry Mary in, like, 1539, but he's a Lutheran, so they're like, nah. And then the Duchy of Cleves come about in the same year. And people want Mary to marry the Duke of Cleves. And they were the same age. So that actually would have been nice for her. But then the Duke of Cleves has a sister named Anne. And they're like, you know what? Henry should just marry Anne. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, Hans Holbein paints this beautiful portrait of her. And then she comes to court. And Henry's like, who sent me this horse? Stop it. Almost Stop. an exact quote. He did not. Oh, he did. Ugh. I, and then he yells as he walks out of the room, I like her not. That is, that is a very famous story. <laughs> I like her not. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I like him in this moment. You do? Yeah. Well, you're going to hate him more because he's like 40 something and gross at this point. He's gouty and he has this like gross leg wound that's always dripping and like pussy and he's fat. Nothing wrong with that, but like he's not nice looking. Right. In person encountering him, I would not like this. Mm-hmm. However, as a story from the past, mm-hmm. A plus comedic timing in my eyes. Well, he has more because he's like, oh, I have to marry this beautiful young princess. Oh my God. And then he does. And he's like, I just can't sleep with her. Like for six months, they're like, you know, just please try. And he's like, I just, uh, her body is so misshapen. I, uh, I just can't. And so he doesn't. And then they get. Why did they even get together in the first place for the political Because it was union? a good marriage. Yeah. Political yeah. union. This is a good. And she's young and she could have a son. <sighs> all right. Or another kid at all. Right. Right. Which considering the consistency with which his wife suffered miscarriages. I want to blame him and only him. I will second you on that. Cool beans. I mean, I don't understand anything to do with that, but it the the amount of suffering that his wives went through, I will attribute solely to him. I Whether or not that's yeah, I feel you, comfortable yeah. in 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 really backing you up on that. 
Thank you. And emotional trauma, emotional trauma is, is all him. So we're good. And that's also definitely <laughs> at times a factor. Exactly. Yes. Anne is presented with, Anne of Cleves is presented with the greatest annulment and divorce settlement of all time. She will be henceforth known as the king's most beloved sister. She gets a beautiful palace all to her own and a ton of money. And she never has to sleep with another. She never has to marry someone she doesn't want to. She gets to kind of act in a, in a independent way. And she's like, yeah, I'm down for that. So she consents to it and becomes one of Henry's actually most loved friends and one of Mary's most beloved um, advisors and friends as well. Same with Elizabeth. Huh, that's not bad. So Anna Cleves won. Mm-hmm. If we're watching Six the Musical and they're genuinely asking who won, not because of who suffered the most, but because of who won one, it's Anna Cleves. Yeah. I really, I really need to somehow see that musical. I'm deeply in love with everything to do with it. It feels important. It is so important. Also, yeah. belting, riffing, vocal mm. talent. Here for mm. it. Here for it. And like the fact that they're all inspired by various pop queens is something that brings me joy. A plus. Mm, very much so. And and yeah, so 1541, the Countess of Salisbury, who's Mary's governess and godmother. There's another, apparently there's a Catholic plot. Her son is Reginald Pohl, who is very important. Um, and uh, they were all implicated in it. Really what they were is they were the last vestiges of the Plantagenet family, ha- mm-hmm. like line of the family. So they were threats. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 70-something-year-old Countess of Salisbury was, and I quote, hacked the the executioner, who was a wretched and blundering youth, literally hacked her head and shoulders to pieces. She's one of the oldest women to be, oldest people to be executed in England and is said to have had the most gruesome one. He, like, missed a bunch. Oh, stop. And she was very close to Mary. So that's another, like, blow. Was Mary watching? That little pun. Uh, no. Good. And then in 1542, or 1541, this 19-year-old, who's five years younger at this point than Mary, Catherine Howard, is uh, brought in to be married to the king as his fifth wife. And um, comes out that she got she slept with someone before her marriage to the king. By all accounts, she was groomed by her music teacher, but of course it's her fault when she mm-hmm. was like 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then by someone else again who was grooming her. Everyone's mm-hmm. grooming this very poor child um, who is politically and dynastically actually not unimportant, but um, that's why the marriage could have taken place. She was ranked high enough in English aristocracy. Mm-hmm. But she was 19 and beautiful and... Um, the king found out that she had was impure before their marriage, which is a grounds for treason and thus execution. Right. Yeah. There are reports that she slept with them during her marriage to the king, but I've never read a convincing one. Those were written. The ones I've read have been written by people who wanted to see her fall. So mm-hmm. it's really horrible because, you know, Catherine Howard wasn't an, not an ally toward Mary. So all this time, all of these changing dynamics in court, Mary's navigating them. Her younger sister, Elizabeth is navigating them. And Edward is just like, I guess I'm being educated really well. Um, 
which is true. And then in 1543, so a year after Catherine Howard is executed, he marries his last wife, Catherine Parr, who is the coolest. Um, Not the coolest wife, but is just a really cool person. Mm -hmm. And she worked actively to reconcile the entire family. At this point, it's kind of established that, you know, they're not going to have any kids. Although Catherine Parr is, I think she's like five years older than Mary. So she was, she set out to make herself not a stepmother, but a friend to Mary. And she became one. And she became a surrogate mother to Elizabeth and to, um, and worked to reinstate Mary's and Elizabeth's places in the line of succession. And indeed, there was an act of succession in 1544 that was passed. And it placed them in the line of succession after Edward. Although technically, they were legally illegitimate still, mm-hmm. which is something that no one dared to challenge during Henry's lifetime. Um, in 1547, Henry VIII dies, a very old and decrepit and sick man. He's not that old. He's just gross. And um, Mary inherits a lot of estates and she's granted some in her own right. And Edward is nine years old. And so he is, uh, you know, he's king and he's crowned. And there's a lot of important regents who are put in place to, there's a council and it's an entirely Protestant council and they work to make it Protestant in England. So there's this act of uniformity in 1549. You had to be Protestant. They um, set about this aggressive regime that was started by Henry, but really came into play during Edward's, he's Edward VI, um, his rule called the dissolution of the monasteries. And um, they whitewashed or technically lime lime washed all of the walls of churches. They destroyed Catholic churches, um, any Catholic paraphernalia, executed a bunch of Catholics um, and got rid of any Catholic priests and replaced them all with um, Protestant ones. They used Thomas Cramner's new book of common prayer. um, And one of the biggest gripes Edward had with Mary, beside the fact that he was his, her, he was, she was his most beloved sister um, was that she, she remained staunchly Roman Catholic. I mean, I mean, she had mass in her own chapel, given like 12 times a day, which is normal. She like had a parade once where she just like made everyone use their rosaries. Like she was, she was so like, fuck you. I've been through enough. Um, I'm mm-hmm. keeping my faith. She appealed to her own cousin who was Charles V at that point. It was a man she was supposed to have maybe married. Um, he was, she was like, please ask my brother to let me continue being Catholic. And Edward's like, nah. Um, but Mary just kind of got to be out of the way during. Edward's reign. She didn't really attend court that much. Um, There was a bit of a plan to get her out of England at the time when the pressure for her to convert was the most intense. And she almost was smuggled out of England, but that she actually refused at that point. She was going to, was scared and stopped. Um, Mm -hmm. Mary's in her thirties and she goes to be with Elizabeth and Edward for Christmas in 1550. And the 13 year old Edward publicly gets mad at her for ignoring his laws regarding worship. Um, and he, he, I mean, completely decimates her in public and they both start crying and it's all pretty embarrassing. And she never agreed to acquiesce and he never stopped asking her to. So it, it's definitely the the hardest part of their reign. 
Um, what I would give to be a fly on the wall during that meal. Right? Yeah. Oh, so painful, I'm sure. That's a soap opera and a half right there. Mm, isn't it? I know. Yeah. Um, so 1553, or it's July. Edward the Sixth probably has TB. He dies. Um, he's only 15. Hmm. He'd been king for five years, and he desperately tried to make sure Mary wouldn't become queen because she was Catholic. Only because she was Catholic. Right. And so there was a plot, a device of inheritance that was passed down through Francis Brandon, who was Mary's cousin and her goddaughter, although she was like a year younger than her, not even. Mm -hmm. And Francis Brandon was the daughter of Henry VIII's younger and favorite sister, Mary. Francis had a daughter, Lady Jane Grey. And so they named Jane Grey as the successor to the throne, which technically doesn't make that much sense. It should have been Francis, but, you know, at this point, they don't care. So he, in order to do this, Edward, on his deathbed, disinherits both of his sisters. Even though Elizabeth is a Protestant, he couldn't only do one because technically he would be doing Mary for one reason and then doing not doing Elizabeth for the same reason that he would have disinherited Mary. So it doesn't make sense. Um, so both of them are excluded, which contradicts that Succession Act of 1544. Yikes. And Lady Jane Grey is put in charge and she does not want it. Lady Jane Grey is like, this isn't right. I'm not supposed to be queen. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary's supposed to visit her dying brother right before he dies. But she's like, I think they're going to capture me. So she disobeys Ooh. those summons and kind of installs herself at a uh, big like castle with a moat. Sure. Um, and moats are helpful when you're being chased. Moats are really helpful. Yeah. Moats are Draw really the bridge. helpful. Yeah. I mean, who's going to get across that? Keep out that little twerp who's half your age. Yes. Not even. I mean, he is. Can you she's... imagine being 30 and wise and a woman who's been through so much and like this little 15 year old boy, because he's a man, gets to tell you what to do? Mm hmm. yeah 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 all right go on (laughs) so jane gray is married quickly to the man who's in charge of everything is john dudley the first duke of northumberland and he is currently the head regent for the king and Mm. he engineers it so that his son becomes the new presumed heir's husband but jane gray is like i don't fucking want any of this shit um, four days after Edward dies, she's proclaimed queen. She refuses to crown her husband. Badass. <laughs> Legitimately. She's like, if you're saying I am queen, my husband's just merely an aristocrat. You're giving me this. You're saying I'm queen because of my grandmother and because of my relationship to, and my, my proximity to the Royal family. My husband mm-hmm. has none of that. And you're giving oh. me the authority, not him. There you go. In direct defiance of his own father, who is the one who is trying to make sure that he's the one in charge of everything Mm -hmm. and her own family. And she is, there are, I mean, Jane Grey has had a tortured existence, this poor woman. She's only like 15. Mm. Um, Jane's deposed nine days later, nine days a queen, very famously, by Mary, who assembles a military force and marches. 
She had Jane imprisoned in the Tower of London with John Dudley and her husband. Uh, Mary rides into London on the 3rd of August and she brings Elizabeth and over 800 nobles and gentlemen and they all cheer and love her. What? Because yeah. she asserts her give me, right. Give me the backstory there. So she asserts her right as the legitimate daughter of a king. And what John Dudley miscalculated was the strength of monarchy. Mm. Monarchy is strong because of the counselors who say it is strong. But that's not, it's it's strong because of a will of people saying it is strong. Uh, if If he declares that Jane, who is literally plucked from aristocratic obscurity, is queen because of her not very distant, but kind of distant relation to a king's sister mm-hmm. and the importance of that, why on earth would you not proclaim the king's daughter, not the king's great niece, great, great niece or whatever? Why would you not proclaim the daughter queen? Right. And Mary was always beloved by the people and felt that for the most part, they felt she had been mistreated. That helps. Mm-hmm. So she she believes Jane is innocent and was used, which is accurate, and does not want to murder her, but uh, instead murders John Dudley, the Duke of Northumberland, which is fine. She immediately sets about restoring England to a Catholic power, which people were very divided on. There were a lot of people. I mean, it's not been that long that England's been Catholic. You know, it's been like 20 years, so not even. Um, and they made a whole show of destroying everything that was catholic well they did and and so the people who remained catholic were very happy mary was in charge and the people who remained who were very protestant weren't mary is 35 and unmarried so right um one of the first thing that she is forced to do is find someone to marry and remember how i had said it was of the utmost importance that she um, marry someone who is of her statute, status. Well, at this point, she is a regnant, the first regnant queen of England. And who else can match her level? Well, only another prince or another king. Mm-hmm. And so she has to look abroad. She can't stoop to marry someone below her status. So that's exactly what she does. And she finds the son of her cousin, Charles V, who's Prince Philip of Spain. And she's like, you're hot. Uh, I'll marry you. He's 11 years younger than her. And is that- people are immediately pissed because okay. he is Spanish. Okay. Like Mary. And he is... It's seen as a Spanish invasion because no one's ever... England has never had a queen. So what does that mean for the man that she marries? Technically, that he should be king and rule. So what they did is they they did a very complicated bit of uh, political maneuvering and legal kind of maneuvering as well. He would be king consort and not rule or be in charge of anything, but she could seek his advice. Mm Mm-hmm. 
He also, of course, had his own territories to govern. And eventually when he becomes Philip II of Spain, little bitch, uh, he becomes a king. So in his own right. Um, he privately swears that he will never obey those terms, but who cares what he privately swears because publicly he swore the opposite. And Mary, um, Mary does believe in the subjugation of her own sex. Remember, she's very Catholic, very, very mm-hmm. devout mm-hmm. and wants to be a good Christian wife and, and mother if she's given the opportunity but also understands her dual role as a regnant queen. And so that becomes something, you know, that I think is a really interesting dynamic. And I actually thought it was beautifully explored in a slightly different way in the first season of the crown with queen Elizabeth II. Yeah. And her marriage to Prince Philip. I thought that was Mm -hmm. actually really beautifully explained and explored. It, it, that problem hasn't gone away, you know? And, and I think it's, yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's an interesting argument. Um, so people don't want her to marry him because they see it as undue Spanish influence. But if she had married someone below her status, they would have hated it. She's damned if she does. She's damned if she doesn't. And frankly, the most important thing she can do is have a child. And she's 35. Right. Who's And she's had severe menstrual problems her entire life. She's been very sick from them for a long time. So, you know, it's not looking great for her. And... Mm-hmm she has seen what her father did to secure the succession and the lengths her brother tried to go to, to ensure his own version of it. She could not be more painfully aware of the importance of securing a succession. Mm -hmm. And she desperately does not want her sister to become queen because her sister is very Protestant. Even if it's just for show politically, Elizabeth didn't give a fuck, but she was very Protestant politically. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it is the most important thing that she can do is, is Mary and she finds Philip and she falls a little in love and she's super excited. And for the first time, no one else is telling her no and breaking it up for her. Maybe she's actually going to get married for the first time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so everyone was super condescending toward her because she was a woman. They're like, Oh, she set her mind on this foreign match. Well, mm, you know, and it's like, she firmly believes in the importance of her own station in a way because God gave it to her. You know, she does believe in divine governance. And so Mm -hmm. you can't debate with that. When that, when Mary wants to marry him, Thomas Wyatt is a little upstart and he wants to depose Mary in favor of Elizabeth. It's something called Wyatt's rebellion. It involves Lady Jane Grey's father, the Duke of Suffolk and it actually reaches a little bit of, of support. And unfortunately they march to London. Wyatt is captured and defeated, but because of the fact that she held and her family held Lady Jane Grey, her husband, Guilford Dudley and her father, the Duke of Suffolk are all executed. This is the daughter of her best friend for the record. One of her best friends. Um, or had been and, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's, it's an interesting an interesting situation um elizabeth is of course the the subject of this thing and so they're kind of like should we put her in prison or should we execute her and mary's like i 
Elizabeth's swearing she didn't do anything. She didn't know. Yeah, she holds this place in people's hearts, but she didn't, you know, act to actively do this. And so um, she just puts her in the Tower of London for a couple months, which for the record was a prison, was a was a palace. It was treated kind of like a prison, but the Tower of London was also a palace. Mm -hmm. Mary, she's married to Philip and um, becomes so Emperor Charles V gives Philip the kingdom of Naples and the kingdom of Jerusalem, which I don't know how he could have possibly given it to him and said, he was like, I decided you are the king of Jerusalem. And he's like, okay, fine. So Mary together, they become like the king and queen of Naples, Jerusalem, prince of queen of England, Ireland, and Scotland, prince of Spain. And it's like the most ridiculous thing. Um, Philip didn't speak English, which is really funny. So they spoke like a weird mix of languages. But one thing I do want to talk about really quickly is, you know, there's this enduring myth of Elizabeth, the the great king soldier. And she gives this very famous speech when her former brother-in-law, Prince Philip, or King Philip II of Spain, is going to invade with his armada in England. And it's, you know, stomach, or I may have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king and a king of England at that. Like, it's a very famous speech. But I want to read to you a speech that Mary gave during Wyatt's Rebellion that makes me convinced, and it made Jessica convinced, that Elizabeth just stole everything and copied her. And I think it's important because we get to see and understand Mary in a role that she, as she understood herself, you know? So she says, I am come in mine own person to tell you what you already see and know. I mean the traitorous and seditious assembling of the Kentish rebels against us and you. Notice the use of us as the royal we. Their pretense, as they say, is to resist a marriage between us and the Prince of Spain. By their answers, the marriage is found to be the least of their quarrel. For serving from their former demands, they now arrogantly require the governance of our person, the keeping of our town, and the placing of our counselors. What I am loving subjects, you know your queen, to whom at my coronation you promised allegiance and obedience. I was then wedded to the realm and to the laws of the same. The spousal ring whereof I wear here on my finger, and it never has, and never shall be left off. I cannot, cannot tell how naturally a mother loveth her children, for I never had any. But if the subjects may be loved as a mother doth love her child, then, I, then assure yourselves that I, your sovereign lady and your queen, do earnestly love and favor you. I cannot but think you love me in return, and thus bound in concord, we shall be able, I doubt not, to give these rebels a speedy overthrow. I am neither so desirous of wedding, nor so precisely wedded to my will, that I needs must have a husband. Hitherto I have lived a virgin, and I doubt not with God's grace to live still. But if, as my ancestors have done, it might please God that I should leave you a successor to be your governor, I trust you would rejoice thereat. Also, I know it would be to your comfort." Yet if I thought this marriage would endanger any of you, my loving subjects, or the royal state of this English realm, I would never consent thereto, nor marry while I lived. On the word of a queen, I assure you that if the marriage appear not before the court of parliament, nobility, and commons, for the singular benefit of the whole realm, then I will abstain, not only from this, but from any other. Good and faithful subjects, pluck up your hearts. And like true men, stand fast with your lawful prince, prince against these rebels, both our enemies and yours, and fear them not. For I assure you that I fear them nothing at all. It's one of my favorites. And in there, I think she's giving a really good description of the fact that she 
would be happy happy to be a, a Christian martyr for her religion and never marry. And whether or not that's true, she's saying it politically and, and, but that she is doing it for the benefit of the realm. And if she thought it would not be to their benefit, she wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the high point of Mary's life is when she ascends the throne and quickly it kind of goes the other way. She most likely had a phantom pregnancy in around 1554. No one quite understands what was happening. It's very difficult because, you know, she's queen, but women had to legally, not legally, but religiously go into confinement where no men could go. And so how were her counselors supposed to meet with her if she was pregnant? So Philip was regent and that made her very unpopular. And Elizabeth was became a rallying cry for people. Um, if Mary was going to die, Philip was like, I'll just marry your sister and become king. But, you know, people were all very cruel to Mary. Philip even wrote a letter to his own brother-in-law, who was Maximilian of Austria, saying, I don't even know if she's actually pregnant. Um, she was supposed to be giving birth around April um, of 1555, but that never happens. And everyone starts doubting whether or not she's actually pregnant. She's continuing to show signs of pregnancy until July of 1555, but then her abdomen receded and one of the ambassadors dismissed her pregnancy as more likely to quote, end in wind rather than anything else. Mm. And it just shows the importance she placed on having a child. And, and I think it's, you know, we can understand this is a woman who's been broken and beaten and, and she finally reaches a position that she never actually thought she would hold, but believed is her God given right. And yeah, she sees her failure to be pregnant as God's punishment because there are heretics in her realm. And this is where she begins to get the reputation she does not deserve as bloody Mary you know, one of the things that I think is really important is burning of someone as a heretic is not a secular punishment. It is a religious punishment. Meaning Mary did not order these. She simply authorized them. Again, not saying it was a good decision. But in the five years that Mary was queen, because unfortunately it's only five years, although maybe fortunately, depending on which side of history we're on, um, she... Uh, 283 people are burned at the stake for heresy. And one of the things I want to make clear is burning was seen as a merciful act of potential reconciliation with the church. You were not burned to punish. Burning was meant to give you a taste of the hellfires and therefore a chance to recant and a chance to save your soul. Makes sense for witches. Yeah. When your soul is the most important thing and you're immortal life and your status within God's, you know, eventual realm is the most important thing in the world to you. Mm -hmm. That isn't to be taken lightly. You know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. So Mary authorized the church to do these things, to act in her realm. She did not personally do it. And one of the things I will say is her reign was a lot less bloody than her brother's and her father's. I mean, a lot less. So she gets this reputation, I think, purely because she was Catholic and also because she was a woman. So it's tricky. Um, 
Mary was desperate to have a child and ensure succession. Philip kept having to leave to govern his own realms, whether or not he had to or just wanted to. Mary is desperate for the realm to become Catholic. She wants to save everyone's faiths. Um, and it, it, it just becomes a bit of a disaster. Um, a lot of people are executed who were close to Edward's reign and the Protestant rule. People are deeply, um, deeply scared that Spain is going to come rule for her. Um, and unfortunately Mary's, there was a lot of flooding. This sounds weird. Economically, it was actually a really difficult time. Um, the new world was very lucrative. England didn't have any stake in it. Spain did. And so uh, there was a lot of economic failures during Edward's reign and during Henry VIII's reign, but then also Mary's, um, there was the English coinage was debased a lot under her father and her brother's reign. There was a lot of rain and flooding. There was famine. Um, and uh, what's really hard too is Mary actually drafted phenomenal plans for currency reform, but she died before they could be implemented. And Elizabeth gets all the credit for them. Mm. Um, yeah. That's annoying. So it's, it's, oh God, it's so annoying. Um, her husband comes to visit her in 1557. She thinks that she's pregnant again in 1558. Her husband, if she should die, would be regent during the minority of their child. No child is ever born. And Mary is forced to accept Elizabeth as her successor. Because if she didn't accept Elizabeth, her own reign would have been illegitimate. In the same way that Edward had to delegitimize both of them. He couldn't just choose Mary. Mm -hmm. um, May of 1558, probably from uterine cancer, she dies. Well, May, she's very sick. And then in September, she dies. She's 42. She had the, it was part of an influenza pandemic. Yikes. Mm -hmm. And she was succeeded by her Protestant younger sister. She was interred in Westminster Abbey. And after Elizabeth dies, she's buried, Elizabeth buried on top of her. And uh, James I, who succeeds Elizabeth, um, basically buries Mary by burying Elizabeth on top of her and says um, their tomb says consorts in realm and tomb. We sisters, Elizabeth and Mary here lie down to sleep in hope of the resurrection. Hmm. And that's, that's the life of Mary Tudor it was I think really difficult because her policies, like her actual economic and political and, and financial policies were really good, but she had too short of a reign to make them effective. Mm -hmm. And natural disasters were really hard for her. And the counter-reformation, which is what it was called, was was not that popular. And Philip wasn't popular. And I think it's just really, really difficult for her. And, and a lot of things that she started in her reign became Elizabeth's accomplishments. So she's remembered as Bloody Mary. Interesting the amount of similarities to this year. In How so? Terms of, in terms of not wanting one side to win, you know, mm. the Protestant mm -hmm. versus Catholicism whole situation, natural disasters, political, you know, crisis, economic crisis, mm. pandemic, influenza, 
I just heard a lot of things that sounded kind of similar to what. No, you're right. I mean, things just. Yeah. Every week we say this just repeats. Yeah, you're absolutely (laughs) right. It does repeat. And I think, I think we see in Mary something we see with most women who obtain positions of power is what an impossible position they're put in. Right. Absolutely. They're meant, yeah, they're meant to be all of these things at the same time that naturally contradict themselves. They must be docile and obedient, at least in Mary's position. And yet she has to rule as a king. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's something that is naturally inconsistent and must be very difficult. It's the thing where you see like, you know, what's, you know, a woman who's someone who would call a woman bossy would also call a man strong. Absolutely. I think it's a similar thing. Definitely speaks to how much stronger women are for managing to kind of find a balance amidst an impossible situation. For putting up with it all. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think Mary is someone who history has maligned because of who won, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but she was, I think, an incredibly strong individual who never wavered in her own convictions, whether or not we agree with them. Um, and yeah, I think she, she did the best she could with the cards she was dealt. And we're here today to set the record straight. Yes. <laughs> Stop doing, staring into a mirror and saying Bloody Mary. She doesn't care. <laughs> Just, oh, let her Maybe be. Maybe it's a tribute. Maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, you know what? If you do it, be like, you know what, Mary? History's been mean to you. I'm going to remember you kindly. Say it with respect, you know? Yeah. But don't call her Bloody Mary. I think that's mean. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's the very first queen regnant. It's so cool. It's a good claim to fame for sure. It's an excellent one. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I think if she hadn't ruled the way she had, a lot of what happened to her, Elizabeth took and ran with and learned from. Elizabeth never married. I think it has to do with how she saw what how unpopular she saw her sister's marriage had been. Mm -hmm. And that no matter what happened, Mary didn't couldn't win. You know, she had to have a kid, but anyone she could have married would have been a potential foreign threat. I mean, there was no winning Mm -hmm. for her. Mm -hmm. And I think Elizabeth saw that and was like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm marrying England. (laughs) It's a little, you can't see it, but I'm doing that. I can hear you clapping. Thank you. And it's the little round of applause. Oh my God, I'm blushing. Hey, anytime. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Thank you so much. We're getting some really nice of you. Yeah, we're getting some awesome suggestions. Keep them coming. Um, We're excited to talk about more ladies always. We are. So until next time when we talk about more ladies. Thank you. Farewell. (laughs) I always wonder if we're going to hit the right pitch when we do that. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.